0: This episode is sponsored by The Juice, and I just wanted to rant a little bit, if I may, about my own experience being a marketer. I I think too much marketing focuses on expanding the top of the funnel, when really we should focus on straightening it. That's the focus on resonance, not just reach. The thing is, with the rise of search and social, headlines to our work had to remove themselves from the paragraphs and the episodes they supported and go standalone in a list against other headlines. And sure, enticing title plus great content was always the formula. But what happens when the enticing part takes over or even consumes all of your time? You get rampant, overpromising, promising under-delivering. The point is that B2B content raced to the bottom. Forget about making it good. It just had to be visible. The substance was no longer the point. It had to just sound enticing. The Juice is trying to solve this problem. They're trying to help us find and follow the best ideas for marketing and sales professionals not the most optimized not even the most common but the best and brightest thinking and the most powerful resources to make us better at our jobs they're a kind of curated media company almost like spotify for b2b content you can learn more and sign up for free and skip all the noise found on search and social visit thejuicehq.com
1: <clears throat> uh.
0: So, I'm supposed to have a script. <laughs> I'm supposed to have a script, and uh, and I don't. And that's really unusual for me. And and I feel like it's symptom- symptomatic of a, a barrier in my creative career. Like if I'm to continue, I need to stop perhaps worshiping the craft. I talk a lot about this on the show. The craft. Creativity is a craft. It's, it's, it's repetition plus reinvention over time. You do a thing, then you do it slightly better. And the best part of all this is that we are here in the mud, slogging it out, working day after day after day on a thing that's learnable. And then I, I turn my attention to a big problem, something that frustrates me something like why people obsess over reach instead of resonance or what it even takes to resonate at all. And I think, okay, well, everyone's out there teaching reach, teaching revenue growth. Well, what if we can learn how to resonate because it's teachable, because it's learnable? It is also a craft. And I think sometimes I, I hide behind the craft part of this work that we do. And that's why I always need a script. And I think the next phase or evolution of my career has to be betting on the skills that the craft has helped me hone. I'm good on camera. I don't do much video. I I was a public speaker for four years. That was my main business. I still do a lot of speaking, but like that was the business for a while. I don't rely on that as much. I don't bet on my ability to riff. And you might be thinking, Jay, you haven't said anything like approximating um or uh, in this whole rant here. And it sounds polished. And I would say, yeah, I know, like, I th- I think I have some abilities here that don't require me to put so many safety nets around me. But I keep doing that. I keep, I keep thinking to myself, like, wow, they do it so great. Wow, only, if only I could do it that way. Wow, if, if I could get past that gate- gatekeeper, like, I'm, I'm enamored with the, what could be and what might be instead of. Looking at what is. I've worked my ass off. I'm tired. This this shit's hard to do this independent creator thing. To get on the microphone day after day after day when you're exhausted, when you didn't sleep well, when your kids got you up early or at all hours of the night when you're stressed out about money or you're stressed out about whatever, the acclaim of an audience. It's fraught. That's what I'm trying to say. Perhaps poorly. Because there's no script here. We all struggle with our own versions of these internal barriers, these obstacles, these Maker Monsters. Today, and I guess this is where we kind of go back to the script here, Maker Monsters, the sequel, the second in our miniseries, these internal barriers that so often hold us back, that creep up and grip us. They drag us back, hold us down, and we have to wrestle with them and defeat them or maybe befriend them to continue our creative journeys. And because we aren't often dealing with just one maker monster, in this episode, we're bringing you two. Two different maker monsters that are cousins? Siblings, maybe? Either way, they're both about our sense of worth and how many times most of us, too often, conflate our sense of worth with the work that we do. And so the Maker Monsters that we're going to meet today, we're going to confront them and hear from some very successful creators about how they still battle them and how they manage to push forward even still. Uh, These Maker Monsters bookend our process where one seems to attack us most notably before we ship something into the world and the other creeps into our minds after. Yes, it's time once again to battle some maker monsters It's spooky, it's scary it's cathartic keep, 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 keep it go win. It's unthinkable questioning best practices to create work that resonates. I'm Jay Conzo. Okay, so just to set us up today, the analogy I always use is that creative work used to lead, making things to make a difference, is kind of like you're saying to your audience, the status quo is broken. Where we stand right now, we're not going to settle for it any longer. Something is underexplored or bad, and away in the distance, we see the mountain peak, and we want to get to there together. But you, the leader of this movement, you have no idea how to get there, and so... You're hacking away at the jungle, exploring it, investigating the best path forward, and you're trying to invite others along that journey to contribute to that exploration, not just tell them how to get down the path, because you yourself are investigating it, discovering it, and pushing people along that journey. You're not an expert. You're an investigator. You're an explorer with a vision of where to get to. As for the path, you don't know, and that's the creative process. So in this Maker Monster miniseries, what I'd like to do is start us above the tree line. We're gonna hover above the jungle and hear some of the chatter from below, all these creators who are struggling in different ways with different Maker Monsters. And then we're gonna find a place that interests us to dive down below the trees and spend a little more time with a few creators struggling with, in this case, two specific and terrible Maker Monsters on their journeys. Ready? Let's go. Assuming that you have more time than you need, it is a lack of it is a lack of self-control in some cases, but it's definitely a lack of discipline. Um, it, it is a lack of time management. It is when you just keep assuming that you have enough time to do a thing,
2: but you don't.
1: So
3: I start to notice myself maybe not taking care of myself as often. I'm not uh, cleaning the house. I'm not uh, preparing as healthy meals. I can just tell that the other parts of my life other than business start to fall to the wayside and I'm not taking care of myself as often. So really, instead of doing more, what we want to do is focus on how to be great at less. Very, very challenging for a content entrepreneur to do this but that's what we have to do when i when i sit down to start a project i often look around me and i think that already exists or uh, how how can i enhance that conversation i don't think i can what what perspective or point of view do i have that's original and different and complementary
2: to these other points of view
0: and i'm always like i'll get to it i'll get to it i'm afraid i'll get to it And the fear could be irrational. It could be something that I'm perfectly good at, but just don't feel like doing. Or I just, I'm not in the mood to do it. Um, Or I haven't really thought it through, so I don't know how it's going to go. I don't have all the supplies that I need, so I don't feel confident doing it with what I have.
3: I'm going to have to say no to people. I'm going to have to disappoint someone or disappoint myself. And it's sort of an avoidant behavior to, to sort of spend time doing something else and pretend that it doesn't exist. So in some ways, it's a form of uh, procrastination.
0: It's time now to dive below the tree line and to meet some creators who are very generous and very vulnerable and forthcoming with their stories and their ideas all around two specific maker monsters that they struggle with that, again, relate to their sense of self-worth that I think you and I probably deal with all the time, too. The first happens before you ship the work so often, and the second tends to be about actually shipping the work, or at least the moment as you ship. These two maker monsters are kin. They're cousins or maybe siblings. They come from that self-worth family. They are imposter syndrome and fear of rejection.
2: Hi, my name is Natalia Aldana, and I'm a journalist living in Brooklyn, New York.
0: Natalia is a multimedia journalist and international news editor. Her work includes producing audio for the Al Jazeera Media Network and, as a student, launching the first bilingual student paper in the entire California State University system. That's a network of 23 different campuses serving more than 37,000 students.
2: About four months ago, I quit my job as a producer, um, working within a major news organization to become a fully independent freelance writer. So as I've been working on my creative process... Uh, There's definitely been some internal monsters that are posing a challenge to my creativity. The main one being imposter syndrome.
0: Okay, and let's also meet another independent creator, Aisha White.
1: I quit my job last year and now on this journey of pursuing something on my own.
0: Aisha is an independent arts organizer and consultant. She helps use creativity and the arts as a means for calling for positive change. For example, she served as a creative director for a movement called Biden Be Brave, a community of black, brown and indigenous communities calling for climate justice and the passing of the Green New Deal.
1: One of the hardest lessons has been like, you don't need an institution to tell you that it's okay. You don't need a boss to tell you that you can work on this project. You have to do it yourself.
2: I have become a lot more confident throughout the years. But... Lately, the imposter feeling has been creeping in when I sit down in front of my laptop and I'm like, okay, Natalia, let's get this independent career thing going already.
0: Yes, let's get this independent career thing going. We all know that, that sense of endless possibility, right? And it's addicting. It's it's something that I I, I fuel all my work on. It, it's it it seems like this endless fuel that we can draw from. That sense of what could be, or what might be, or what should be. This independent career thing. It's addicting. It's motivating. It can also be terrifying. This sense of endless possibility, and also, what in the world am I even doing?
2: I'm working on a piece, or trying to work on a piece, about the complexities of identity within the Latinx community. I am Latina, the first-gen daughter of Salvadorian immigrants, so the subject that I want to write about is me, right? So it should be no sweat. And yet I am procrastinating hard on writing this article. When I start to type out my thoughts, I almost always go back and delete what I just wrote because I'm thinking, okay, that's not good enough. Uh, It's not original enough. Or I start to imagine how other people will call me out for not knowing what the hell I'm talking about. Like when I talk to my friends about this and when I tell them what I want to write about and the genesis of this thought and why I think it's important, I mean, you really can't get me to shut up about it because I'm passionate about it and I care and I think I know what I'm talking about. But there's like an intense level of fear that creeps in when I start to write.
0: We know what we care about. We're committed. We're fired up. We're passionate. But, but this monster stops us in our tracks, makes us question whether or not we're even worthy, worthy enough to care, worthy enough to add our voice, our spin, our perspective, our vision. Aisha feels the same way.
1: I'm on this mission to like create like a BIPOC social practice art, socially engaged art and social justice art agency, specifically focusing on artists who are not in this to be a part of the art world. They want to succeed and thrive and support their communities and that is what success means to them which means that access to galleries is not a thing for them so how do I support them and like specifically I am deeply interested in providing access to healthcare and housing for artists um, so how can I build out a holistic agency provide access to all of these things <laughs> and actually I've a pretty awesome plan in place and it makes 110 percent and i have so many people signed on still have these days that are like aisha what are you doing (laughs) go get a job and just sit at a desk and pay your bills
0: i want to draw a quick parallel To a couple past episodes that we recently published. One was a a short form monologue episode. The title of that was The Thing About Art. And the other was the episode right before that, which was about the difference between experts and visionaries, between giving out how-to material that is part of the conventional thinking and actually challenging that conventional thinking and helping people learn how to think or feel or act better. That episode was titled Leaving Expertville. In those episodes, we largely talked about the business that we're actually in, the business of change. We're not here to just make stuff because it's fun or a hobby. That's great. If you are, that's not what we speak to on this show. And I don't think that's why you maybe come to this show at all. We're also not here to just make a quick buck, to do whatever it takes to arbitrage an opportunity. We're here to make things that make a difference. And so there's a lot of different reasons that you might make things. That's, that's ours. And to do that, To act more like a visionary who challenges something stale. To embrace that art is not just paintings and sculptures, but anything created to change people that might not work. All of these ideas almost bring out our imposter syndrome. Because we're doing things that we know inherently do not follow suit with the rest of the status quo that we're challenging. With the conventional wisdom that we're challenging. When we're trying to do something original, something refreshing, something that resonates deeper in a world that so often trends shallow, I think imposter syndrome is just part of the journey. It's, it's a companion, this monster. And it's also not that fun a companion. Not an easy house guest. Not an easy travel buddy. Uh, not particularly considerate. And uh, and pretty rude, actually.
2: And it's not as simple as just saying that you're feeling insecure, because what's at the core of feeling like an imposter is in the word itself. It's feeling that you're a fraud, like you've somehow made it through your work, your academic life, or whatever it may be where you need to exemplify your accomplishments, like you've made it through with luck. Like you believe that the value of your work is determined by how difficult the work is or how difficult you're working. And you think that even after you do all that hard work, that your work is never enough or that you are not enough.
1: And I just have this like deep fear that someone is going to find me out that I'm a fraud. So how do we deal with this
0: obnoxious and sometimes awful travel companion? As part of this Maker Monster mini-exploration, we talk to somebody else who has another fear that is also within many of us, I think, and I think it's related to imposter syndrome. It's this fear that maybe we aren't enough, that we'll fail, that maybe they'll say no to the idea or the offer to whatever it is we're trying to do. And I think this freezes us in place as we're trying to push further. And I get that. And I'm somebody who's wrapped in privilege, wrapped in privilege, wrapped in privilege. But if you're, if you're driven, if you're trying to create things that resonate deeper, if you're trying to separate from the noise or just serve people better, we have to wade into that unknown space. I've quoted him here before. I'll quote him a million times more. The quote I love most about creativity comes from David Bowie. who talks about wading slightly further out into the water than you're comfortable, right to where your toes just barely don't touch the bottom. It's right there that you're in a position to do something exciting. I think that's what the work requires. Don't get wildly uncomfortable. Sure, you might face that once in a while. Push yourself slightly out of your comfort zone. And I think that's my job is to push you slightly out of your comfort zone. And hopefully as you're out there in the water starting to bob and worrying about the waves, You can look sideways at others like you doing that. Others you might hear on this show. But that's the work. That's the job. Pushing yourself slightly further. And then doing it again and again and again. Until somebody says, wow, you're able to go way out there. But it never felt that scary for you. So, that process could lead you to get rejected. You're making a bigger ask. You're trying something a little riskier and putting it forth to your audience to judge. When we enter these unknown professional spaces and projects and tasks, we face another maker monster. Maybe he's an aquatic one, given the analogy. I don't know. But that other maker monster, that sibling to imposter syndrome, is fear of rejection. And someone who brought that up very specifically when we spoke to him is Jay Klaus, He's a podcaster, a course creator, and one of the leading voices in the online creator movement, content entrepreneurs. And he hosts a successful podcast called Creative Elements. And yet he faces this monster, fear of rejection.
3: Basically, I know what I need to be doing, but the actual action that is required feels scary because I know I'm depending on the help and goodwill of other people and so I have to put myself out there and ask for their help, ask for their partnership, ask for their collaboration. Even if it has, is uh, a very low barrier seemingly, that is scary because they can very easily say no or just ignore me and that still burns, especially with people that I've been looking up to for years, which is who I'm trying to get in touch with at this point. And instead of Putting myself out there instead of making myself vulnerable and putting myself at risk for that rejection, I often default to just not taking action, not putting myself out there, not putting my neck on the line in something that I know might hurt if I get ignored or if I'm told no.
0: Here's Natalia again.
2: It's like that fear and judgment of the words that I write that once published, I won't be able to take back in case it's wrong or in case someone calls me out for not being right about it. And I think of all the mean tweets and the tweet backlash that I'll get from others saying, I'm not Latina enough, or the criticisms of my writing skills or lack thereof, or the criticism of like someone saying, who the hell is this person thinking that she can be any kind of expert or voice for our community? Why does she think that she can say all these things? Like, who is she? She can't write about Latinos. She's not Latina enough. Something like that. So procrastination actually has been really helpful in helping me ignore the bigger issue of why I feel like a phony Latina Latinx writer.
3: I'll take an afternoon. I'll send out like 10 cold emails. And historically, those have done really, really well. I get a response on most of them. But there have been times in the last few months where I'm reaching higher and the people that I'm reaching out to, I'm just not getting a response and that sucks. And also there's some part of me that argues and maybe to hide that, well, you know, you didn't hear back. They might get back to you anytime and you don't want to overbook yourself with interviews so you can't prepare. But I think that's the the monster. I think that's the logic of the maker monster of the fear of rejection telling me Something that sounds logical so that I won't take action on making more asks because that rejection hurt.
0: In my career, I remember a moment where imposter syndrome was starting to grip me. And something really bizarre, kind of a mental gymnast move I had to pull on myself, uh, got me through it. So it was 2015, 16, 17, that range, where I was just really starting my public speaking career. So for those who don't know, I've mentioned it before, but just as a refresher, a big part of my business is delivering keynote and virtual speeches. And I remember when I just started doing that, I was excited. I was, I was having fun because what it felt like to me was playing pretend. I was pretending. I was trying to embody what it was to be a speaker. I was going for it. I don't know if there's something that doesn't go off correctly in my brain, but when I see somebody I admire on a stage, instead of going, wow, I could never do that, I go, wow, I want to try that. Little kids do that all the time. I, I think little kids are where we can learn to beat our imposter syndrome because we're pretending. That's what I felt like I was doing. But all of a sudden, that feeling, which had served me so well for three years, went away with the biggest opportunity of my speaking career. It was 2017, and I was about to go on stage in front of a crowd of 4,000 people, the largest audience I'd spoken to, to that point. And it was at a conference called Content Marketing World. And the reason I was on that stage, the reason I was about to open the whole dang conference to the, every attendee, was the year prior, I was the highest rated speaker through the audience surveys. And so they award the opening slot the next year to the previous conference's top speaker. So now, that's next to my name. And people know that. And you're introduced on stage. And that's why you're on stage. There's expectations with it. There's stakes.
3: I know that I need to do something or reach out to somebody. I have the conscious recognition that, yes, this is the next step. This is what I should do. But when I have this fear of rejection deep within me, it somehow uses my own logic against me and will say, well, we have plenty of time. You should just batch that exercise and reach out to 20 people at once. And we don't have time for that right now. So let's just wait until a little bit later and we can do that tomorrow or later this week. And... I just end up sitting with it because some part of me knows that I'm afraid to do it at all. And I can just stall. I can just kick the can. And if I don't put myself out there, then I can't face that rejection and I feel safe.
0: And when we introduce stakes to playing pretend, we stop playing pretend as fully. We start to try and copy the techniques and tactics in a more calculated, surgical manner instead of just trying to embody how we feel and do our best imitation of our heroes. And the best part about playing pretend or imitating our heroes or those we admire is you can't actually copy them. Inevitably, you're going to do it your way, but it gives you the confidence to push through your imposter syndrome. It admits that we're all in some ways imposters. And you stop being an imposter and start playing pretend. But the thing is, nobody else knows that's what you're doing. They just think you're great at it. But you know, I'm just pretending.
2: I think calling these barriers monsters is actually really helpful in working to overcome them. It's like the monster in our closet and the monsters under our bed, right? I remember when I was little, there was one night where I was staring at the creaky closet. And I remember feeling afraid of what could be in there. And you grow up with cartoons and and shows that talk about monsters and so I remember feeling afraid, but there was one moment I remember that little Natalia got the hell up out of bed stormed and opened the closet and boom there was nothing in there i'm trying to approach it i am trying to approach the fraud monster within me that way i'm like you know i gotta do the work i have to write i have to open that creaky closet door so to speak to basically see what might actually be on the other side because it could be great and if it's not great if it's not amazing or what i expected well At least I opened it to
1: know. I keep having to remind myself that I'm not waiting for someone else to tell me it's okay. I'm just trying to go do it.
3: Make some sort of system that you can recognize when you have this barrier. You recognize when it's happened, especially if it is kind of sneaky and not obvious that you're doing this to yourself. Find a way to make that clear and obvious to yourself so you can overcome it. And if you need help overcoming it, find someone else who understands that same struggle, sit down with them, hold them accountable to their challenges, let them hold you accountable and together you'll get through it.
2: It also helps to surround myself with people that I trust. People who love boosting me up and who love boosting up their their people and their community. Because then you start to see yourself with more love and appreciation because people around you love you and genuinely appreciate you and see you for who you are because they don't have my internal monster within them.
0: And I remember I was backstage with the founder of the organization running the conference. His name is Joe Pulizzi. And he walked over and I could feel my nerves swelling. And he and I knew each other for a while. And he said, Dude, you're going to have so much fun out there. Oh, right. Playing pretend is fun. Somewhere along the way, when you introduce stakes or we take ourselves more seriously, we start feeling like imposters. Because who am I? I don't know. I'm nobody. Personally, Jay, I'm nobody. To be on that stage, who am I? I'm not the number one rated speaker. I'm just playing pretend and having fun when I do that.
3: A warm round of applause for Mr. Jay Akunzo.
0: So I walked out on stage, gave the audience a big smile, and with as much energy as I could muster, I started pretending. Thanks for listening. This episode was written and produced by Alana Nevins and hosted and edited by me. If you had any thoughts or questions on this episode, this show, or my work overall, email me. I'm Jay at unthinkablemedia.com, and I'm also responsive on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, you name it. As an independent creator, I rely on the support of listeners like you. And so I have two powerful ways you can support the show. Just two. Number one is send this episode or the entire show to one friend. That's it. Somebody you think would like what we're up to. So send it to a friend. Or number two, continue the journey with us as we try to understand what it takes to create work that resonates. The pinnacle of that, by the way, is to become someone's favorite. So how do we do that? Who has done that? What stories can we find? Insights? What do we learn from history and science, pop culture, and more? Certainly the business world. Subscribe to my newsletter. That's the central node of all of that. It's called Playing Favorites, and it comes out every Friday. You can subscribe right at the top of the website, jayaconzo.com. It's totally free, at least for now. So send the show to a friend or subscribe to my free newsletter to go on this journey to explore that idea of residence together. Thank you so so much for your support. We're back next week with a new episode of the show. Until then, keep making what matters. See you. Thanks again to our sponsor, The Juice, a new kind of media company serving marketers and salespeople. I recently had a call with their team and we agreed that the hollow and visible ideas are currently winning, but it doesn't have to be that way. I believe that being in marketing or being in sales can be inspiring jobs focused on help, not hype. But first, we have to learn to find better ideas to inform our careers and to create better things too. The Juice is helping us with the find part, and I'm trying to help us with the create part. Together, we're trying to increase the signal of the B2B web. The Juice offers content playlists based on your job function and level and curates tens of thousands of pieces of content from some of the best brands and names in marketing and sales today. Follow these playlists and share them and even create your own. Find the best and brightest thinking having the biggest impact on your peers today. Visit thejuicehq.com to learn more.